it's Dodie X with another new friend for you to meet on Get to Know an Average Joe. From auspicious beginnings... It was the Iran-Iraq war, and they were fleeing, and I was literally born on the way. They had to stop so I could get born. We're going to talk about how that risky birth has influenced Mazyar's life, identity, and decisions. We begin in the present day, sitting with Mazyar at his office in downtown Stockholm. My name is Mazia Sal, and I am the VP of Sales and Marketing at Rectest, which is the biggest Scandinavian provider of uh, a uh, quality tool, a software as a service quality tool to make sure that your projects uh, are delivered within time and budget. Uh, we're somewhere between, I think we're still mentality-wise a startup, but from a uh, uh, how established we are looking at our customers, we see that we're way beyond that point. So we're basically a nine-year-old company, and we've been doing pretty well here in Sweden, and to some extent Scandinavia. So what, what does that mean, you say you, we have the startup mentality? What is that? Describe that. I think usually a startup used to mean that you're a small company in the beginning, and during that phase, uh, you, don't, you might have a bit of more of a chaotic organization, you also might have uh, where things are not set yet. You're still exploring. You're still innovating. Uh, creativity is uh, utterly important. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like you could do the things completely right every time, but that will take a lot of time. And then you can do things as fast as possible. And I think, you know, as you mature, you do things... Uh, if you have to think about the impact more and more. I think where we are, we can still be very fast and uh, agile in how we approach the market. But with time, probably, you know, you have to have, you know, second thoughts about things, about how aggressive you are. So how do you, Maziar, approach life? Do you approach it as a startup or as a more established? I think that comes to, you know, are you a, uh, are you someone who likes to build and create? Or are you somebody who likes to maintain? And I always think that you know, maintain sounds so boring. It's, it's probably not about maintaining. It's probably more about making sure that things are in order, that things are efficient and uh, as efficient as possible. That's when I lose interest. I'm interested in the early phases of, of uh, a company or a relationship or anything that's usually in the beginning until you make it solid. I think when I made something solid, it's not mine anymore. It's somebody else's because the only thing I can do when it's solid, it's maintaining, which again, you know, it's not really what I like to do. Give me an anecdote about a time in your life when you decided to set out and do something new. Uh, there are, I would say, three times in life where I truly actually done it. The first is uh, when uh, when I applied for work, summer internship. I was still at the Chalmers University. In Gothenburg. In Gothenburg. I was studying to become a uh, software engineer, and I, uh, I actually applied for Ericsson as a uh, tester working with quality, interestingly enough, which is basically where... Goes I'm around, comes around. Exactly. But uh, uh, at the end of it, I didn't get it. And I was sitting around thinking, what should I do? And then I was thinking about what do I truly want to do? And at that point, I was really want to... I want to explore the world. So... Uh, through some connection, I landed a summer internship at an oil company in Iraq. And at that moment, I wasn't sure that it was the right decision. What, what year was this? This was uh, 2009. 
So it actually had 10 years. Amazing time in the world to go out and work in Iraq. Yes, it was so extremely different at the moment. Uh, so, it, you know, I just to explain here as well, I'm uh, my parents are Kurdish from Kurdistan in the northern part of Iraq. Uh, I've been there before as I would say tourists visiting, visiting relatives, you know, a couple of years before this time I was there as well. So, But you were born in Sweden. Well, actually, I was born in Iran, uh, literally on the way to Sweden. So my parents had to stop by on the, uh, much like how immigrants are coming to, you know, in big waves. Uh, in the mid-80s, there were one of those waves coming from Kurdistan to Europe. And my parents were going through Iran. And it was the Iran-Iraq war. And they were fleeing. And I was literally born on the way. They had to stop so I could get born. <laughs> and uh, a couple of months later, they uh, made their way to Sweden. Were you born in a hospital or were you literally born on the side of the road? I've, I've seen the pictures. It looks like a hospital. I'm pretty sure it was a hospital, but it was a very small village. And I understand that they didn't have all the equipment necessary for my mother when I was born. So so when it came to medicine and stuff like that, I, I do remember that they told me that my uncle had to take a horse to a neighboring village to get uh, antibodies for my mother because she has a certain blood type that requires it. This was the state of the hospital. And uh, it, it's an extremely small village. Mm. So it was a village, but they had to stop the bus, run to the hospital, close the hospital. I was born a bit premature. But, you know, that could happen when, uh, probably when you have the stress that uh, my parents had at the time. Quite. So do you feel like there is a, do you have a particular responsibility in life because you had such an auspicious beginning or did your parents think that you were a miracle child or how did that color your childhood, such a dramatic birth? I I think it did, but I'm not sure if it's due to the birth or just due to who my parents are and uh, their role in their respective uh, circles. Uh, I would say that both my parents were very respected by their families. Uh, were they dissidents? Is that where they were leaving? Well, well, at a time, you have to understand that uh, the regime in Iraq, uh, they were not very Kurd-friendly. Uh, they were uh, oppressing people. And uh, I believe that my dad had to either join the military of the oppressor. It would almost be like a, a Jewish soldier in the German army in the Second World War. You know, some had to do it. Uh, but, you know, that, that just didn't go well, right? Uh, also, they were looking around. They were intellectuals. They, they were studying universities, and they felt that uh, they, ha they would have a better chance of life outside of, of, outside of Iraq. So that's why they fled. And they were the first to flee uh, in their respective families. So it was a bit, you know, uncharted land. Uh, somehow they made it to Sweden. It was not planned. Uh, the only plan was get out, I think, at a, from the way I understand it. And uh, somehow they made it to Sweden. But, um, so I want to talk about this a bit more because then with the current situation with refugees and world politics, how do you relate to what is happening around the world? I mean, the Guatemalans who are coming through Mexico, the, the Syrians, the I mean, everywhere you look, the, that situation is playing over and over again. It's, uh, I would say it's impossible not to think about it because, you know, actually in, in my case, you know, some of these are actually my relatives. Uh, at some point it was even me and my family, but to be, to be honest, I mean, it's not like I recollect that from that time. As far as I know, you know, I've always been in Sweden. Uh, but looking at them, I understand what they're going through. I also understand that it's, it's not easy, you know, 
I live in Sweden, and we also have to remember that, you know, from my point of view, my perspective is that the government of Sweden's primary responsibility is to the Swedish citizens. And whatever they do, and the, whatever the, the kind of impact they do, it has to, you know, in a democracy, you have to basically agree on the decisions you take. And I think today when I see it, it's, it's you know, it doesn't go uh, hand in hand. Mm. There's a very big part of the population who don't agree that this is the best for the country. Mm. Also looking at it, I think, I don't, I don't see that, you know, there's a great plan. Actually, we do have relatives that have been returning to, to Iraq uh, because, because they didn't want to wait. The process was taking too long. And they felt that, you know, it's, it's better there even though there's war. Uh, this has happened a couple of times. But it's, I don't think it's an easy topic to discuss, it, to say what's right or wrong. It, it all depends on are you looking at it from the one country's perspective or from a global perspective. From a global perspective, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? You know, who are we to say where a country starts and begins and ends? But we do as a society. We do, you know, and uh, from that point, it, it's, it's difficult because I don't think people are inherently, you know, evil and don't want good stuff for other people. But I know that they usually don't want good stuff for other people on their own expense. Right. Especially if they, and if they do, it has to be an active decision. And I don't think that's always the case. Incredible. So with that as your background, mm. off you went for your first professional experience mm. back to Iraq. So I think the part that was really interesting there is, is when you're studying, I think this comes to many of you, you, you have a very theoretical experience of how it should be. And, and then you go to a company and you see that some of the things that they need are so basic that you don't feel that you need all that education to provide that. And some other things are, you know, it's, it's really not about what I was studying. So when I came to Iraq, I think my, my lessons were that it didn't really matter if I implemented new technical solutions. The problem was not the new technical solutions. It was getting people who did not have the experience of using a uh, complex solution. And not only people, the people I was working with were Arabs, it was Kurds, Turkish people, and Americans. Um, it was a very mixed group. Yeah, quite a cultural mixed bag. Yeah, it, it was. And, uh, but, you know, it, in the end, it worked. And I, I realized, you know, there's always a, a human factor in making sure that an IT project is successful, which is, you know, really what I was working with there, an IT project. Uh, per, from personal point of view, I... I think what I usually say is that I always thought I was Swedish. No, sorry. I always thought I was Kurdish uh, until I started working with my own people. And then I realized, you know, I'm not that, I'm not as Kurdish as I would have liked to think. Initially, I thought that these people were crazy. I was like, how can they be like this? How can they f resonate like that? It didn't make any sense to me. How could they be late? You know, there's, there's a lot of things. Yeah, give me, give me any, uh, for instance. I think it probably has to do with more, you know, things that I didn't think about. So I didn't think about that Swedish people really like to plan things. And when they do, they're very specific. So going there and saying, that, you know, when will this be finished? Now be like Monday at nine, let's have a meeting then. And they say, inshallah, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, okay, you know, if God will, of course, you know. But from their point of view, was, it was, you know, it was two, you know, two weeks from now. It felt like, the, I truly understand later, is that they meant that two weeks is such a long time in the future that nobody can know what happens. So let's just take things as they come. It wasn't that they didn't want to do the things, but 
planning so much in advance, you know, a couple of weeks, it just felt, you know, it, it, from from their point of view, I'm, I'm pretty sure they were thinking they were planning, but from my Swedish point of view, you know, <laughs> that's not planning. <laughs> so it was it was it was a lot of small things. It was about politics as well. Like uh, things were much more uh, top heavy in decision making, uh-huh. while in Sweden it's it's a bit more distributed. Right. Also, we love consensus. We love consensus. Also, I would say power distance. Uh, it was really clear in the organization that there were a hierarchy. Like it was obvious, uh, and and uh, as I mean, I'm not sure if we made this clear, but you know, we, me, and you, we worked together uh, at Ericsson. At Ericsson, exactly. And and there we we met, you know, someone like the CEO Hans Vesper. You know, just you you waved at him and say hello, how are you? How was the weekend? And he has responded, like, you know, you knew he was the CEO, but he was very friendly. I would say that you didn't feel a power distance. While in Iraq, you felt a strong power distance. Um, so there are these things and. And in, and in the end, what I realized was that it's not that they're crazy or stupid for that matter. I mean, just to be frank, that was what I was thinking. It was more that they have other values, values that I didn't share with them in, in how to, you know, what's important, how to act, all these things. And rather than looking at them and saying that, you know, they're beneath me or they're different, it's just, you know, they're different. Yeah. What did you have in common with them? Well, I think, what what I do have common with them is uh, definitely my you know how I look that and and why why I raise that is because uh, when you grow up in a country like this and you look different, that's what you see. That's what people see. So that's you know because you see that all the time. You don't see the the content of your and your peers' brain all the time. You don't really know. For the audience who is listening, you have light eyes. You yeah. just have dark eyebrows and dark hair, and yeah. you didn't have a beard when you were in school, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not yet. I, 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 I must have been at least twelve before the beard came in. I, I had I had more beard than my peers. I can give you that. But my peers were Swedish, and I think some of them still don't have beards. So it's not really a fair <laughs> fair contest to be to be honest. But uh, I think there are other things as well. So it's it's how you approach and discuss things. It's also the the culture. So I wouldn't say I'm completely this or that. I would say I'm, I'm my basis in the Swedish culture, but I'm leaning towards a more Middle Eastern culture uh, when it comes to stuff like hospitality. I would say in general, Middle Easterns are more uh, you know open and social and collective. We help each other in other ways because you know we didn't have a strong government like Sweden who comes in and support we do have a sense of responsibility that I don't see Swedish people have you don't have a sense of responsibility over your bigger extended family or your clan or tribe if you so will mm-hmm. while you do have over there and I do have that kind of sense of responsibility over a bigger part of my family did you marry somebody a Swede with Swedish background well, or I I married I think you know I think in Sweden it's it's sometimes not that I'm Kurdish it's more that I'm I'm from immigrant family and I think that has a, that has a certain culture of its own. So actually, I married another immigrant, and and uh, she has uh, she has an, a father who's Arabic, and a mother who is Polish. So not Kurdish, but uh, not Swedish either. And you have one small kid and another on the way. Yes. How, do you suppose that your child might have a similar conversation when he is? In his 30s sometime, thinking about, oh, I have these Kurdish elements, I have these Swedish elements, I have a little bit of Polish. I think definitely, but I'm not sure if it's going to be more country-specific, rather it's going to be a bit more global. You're much more of a global citizen because, you know, if you have roots in 
I mean, in her case, it's Sweden, it's Poland, it's uh, you know the Kurdish culture and the Arabic culture. It's it's a lot, and and I I think you know the uh, lines between these cultures they they uh, get blurry sometimes, and also sometimes they go straight against each other. So I'm not really sure what we will have, but yeah. it will be it will be a, a a piece. It will mainly be Swedish, whether we like it or not. Okay, so we were talking about big decisions in your life, yeah. and we started talking about when you were at Chalmers in Gothenburg, and off you went for your first work experience yeah. uh, in northern Iraq. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the other big decisions uh, in life? One really big decision that, uh, and, and when I say big decision, I, m- I mean also hard decision, because for me, a big decision was to start working at Ericsson, but that was not a hard decision, because Ericsson was offering me a very, very great deal. Uh, so that wasn't hard per se. The hard part was to leave all of that after six and a half years. Mm-hmm. That was very difficult because during that time I built I built something. I felt that I'm, I'm building something, uh, a network, a understanding in the area, uh, colleagues. Uh, you have relations, and you have a sense of you know what's normal. But usually, what people don't tell you is that you know. You can be frustrated in your box, but you're usually happy. You're usually kind of satisfied. It's so familiar there. Yeah. You only realize how happy and satisfied you were when you actually leave that box. At the same time, you realize that you do have to leave that box because that box isn't what it used to. It doesn't fit you like it should, and you you feel that like in some ways you're outgrowing it. So you do you have you know that you have to take that decision. You also know that you know when you actually take an decision, you can't really place it, but you don't really feel comfortable. You don't feel home. Uh, I don't really know how else to describe it, but but I had a long period after Ericsson where I, I, I was doing the things I knew I wanted to do. I was happy doing them, but I didn't feel calm or safe uh, in the way I did when I was actually at Ericsson. And I think that's because change and stress manifests in the body in ways that sometimes we don't expect. And I would say it took about a year before I started to become comfortable again. You went straight from Ericsson, which is an established company with 140-some-year history, to a small startup, which isn't this particular startup where we're sitting today, but it was a different, um, different, so maybe you felt that that safety net had gone. So... It, it's probably due to some safety net. Uh, funny thing is, you know, I always saw myself as some someone above safety nets. Uh, somebody that, you know, uh, as long as I do well and I work well, people would like to work with me and it wouldn't be difficult for me to get hired. That wasn't necessarily the problem. The problem was that I didn't want to get hired at the, a lot of the places because I knew what I wanted, but I had a hard time finding it. But I realized that before I can find it, I just have to do something within that area. And that area became a small startup sitting at uh, SUP46. That stands for Startup Sweden uh, 46. They sit in the Regeringsgatan. It's, it's kind of, I'm not sure if it's an incubator, but it's, it's more of a hub for startups. And uh, 46 being the country code of Sweden. So Exactly, exactly. And, and it was a nice environment, but you know, it was very stark contrast from from where I came, came from, we were basically uh, four people, two in Gothenburg, two in Stockholm, working on pro- a product that didn't yet fit the market, and we were exploring if this has a good product market fit. And I think the reason why I I, I accepted that that way forward comes back to the CEO I'm working 
friend right now because before when I was at Ericsson a good tip he had for me that sometimes in life to you know to, in order to go forward you have to be willing to go backwards and do you reflect that you're here in this uh, software company that is focused on quality testing that the first job you sought had to do with quality testing do you feel like oh maybe young Mazyar knew something that today's Mazyar didn't quite realize it, it's funny when you think about it like that but I, I i don't think it was that i think it was more it was more due to do that you know i want to work in tech and ericsson is the biggest most famous tech company especially at the time i mean today we have spotify and other kind of companies but at a time it was the most established biggest company and we had good relationship from shalmash uh, with ericsson um so I thought, you know, I should apply there. And and the job that just happened to be there when I applied was a job for quality management and testing. So it's coincidence, not fate. It's definitely coincidence. But I think, you know, if, if you open a life, uh, you'll have a lot of coincidence as well. Do you believe in fate? No, I don't. Okay. I am. Uh, I, I uh, probably, you know, I had a very, um, my upbringing it's uh we were not a very religious or a superstitious family uh my parents were always very clear on that you know we believe in science we believe in what we can understand we believe in what we can measure and prove and we don't believe in fairy tales all right given a day any day uh, could be a vacation day could be a day at work it could be a weekday could be a weekend what are the ingredients of a fantastic day for Mazyar? Yeah, I think a fantastic day for me is 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 the day you you uh, reap the benefits of your hard work. Those are the good days. Those are days when when uh, we close new customers. Those are days when my daughter. Uh, had learned something uh, from you know working with her and talking to her it's the uh, days when people show you love because you have showed them love i think for me those are great days uh, that makes me happy Mazyar Sal was our 42nd average joe hope you enjoyed listening and if you have a suggestion for me or feedback please get in touch on Twitter at Dodiax. And now, if you'll excuse me. <laughs>